The impact of Advent is massive. In this sermon series, we'll hear some of the voices of Advent and see that when mercy draws near, it gives birth to humble participation, compassionate integrity, and worshipful proclamation. And these are only a few of the countless voices that testify of how the Advent season redeems and renews. So may our voices also be among them during this season. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. I have a friend, I have several friends, we have several friends in Uganda. One is named Simakula Timothy. I still don't know why I'm friends with him. He's uh, one of the most annoying people I've ever met in my life. Um, Hopefully he hears at some point that I said that because he needs to be humbled um, in this world. But uh, no, he's a, a fantastic man, a young man who has given... His life to uh, bringing health care to the marginalized and underprivileged in a country where he could have leveraged his degree and his education to make a lot of money. Instead, he's moved back to uh, a village close to where he was raised, and, and he gives a lot of that health care away. Uh, has to work multiple jobs just to, to keep things funded. One of the things he has said since the day I met him was that he's blessed to be a blessing. That's kind of this little slogan that he'll say. And I've always felt like it's kind of cheesy, but at the same time, it's true. That there's truth in that, that we are, as God's people, blessed to be a blessing. What he means is mercy received results in mercy extended. In other words, mercy gives birth to humble participation in what God is doing. We're in the Advent season. Um, your kids have been given a bunch of great uh, resources. Thank you, Brittany, um, or Scarlett, whoever did the work. I'm not sure which. But uh, this is a season. Advent means coming. This is a season of remembering that Christ came and dwelt with us. And that Advent with us, that coming to be with us, had a lot of impacts. It transforms. When mercy draws near, lives are transformed. Because mercy gives birth to a lot of different things. And so, in the next three times together, um, we're going to meet this Sunday, next Sunday, I do not care, uh, this Sunday, next Sunday, and then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about three ways that, that when mercy draws near, it impacts us. Specifically today... We're going to talk about the improbable, immeasurable, and impossible nature of God's mercy and how grace and mercy breeds within the children of God a deep and humble desire to obediently join God in the work he is doing. Now you're just putting on a show. That's fine, too. Mercy gives birth to humble participation. That's gross. That's where I draw the line. I'm not going to play, play seafood with you up here. All right. Mercy gives birth to humble participation. And my prayer today for us, wherever we find ourselves in the, the coming weeks, is that as we gaze upon the mercy of God today, in this Advent season, mercy that is made available to us in the Advent of Jesus will be renewed and strengthened. Not just to receive it, although 
may we receive that, but also respond to it. That we'll be humbly obedient people who are listening to what God calls us to. So, Father, what we know not, please teach us. Uh, what we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. Amen. Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 26. We're going to hang out with Mary, the mother of Jesus, this morning. Uh, and we're going to observe three aspects about the mercy of God that were revealed to her in the advent of Christ. We're going to see its improbability. We're going to see its immeasurability. And we're going to see its impossibility. And those all start with I, and you're welcome for that. And then we'll see from Mary an example that when mercy draws near, it gives birth to humble participation. She doesn't just receive it, she responds to it. Verses 26 through 29 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying uh, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. There's four things that we see in these three verses. There's a lot more than those, but four things we see about Mary and why Mary was an improbable, an improbable recipient of mercy and grace. First of all, she she's a woman. Okay, now that's not me saying that. That's the culture of the day saying that. That she would have been uh, even more so, right? Like there's there's aspects even of today's culture where women are thought of as less than men. And you can see those uh, made evident around you. But in this day, right, I'd love to see a, a feminist from today teleport back into the culture of then and experience what it was like to be a woman in this day. They couldn't be witnesses in court. Their word wasn't even trusted as a witness in court. Um, um, there was a lot of restrictions on what women were trusted with. So women were devalued by that society, that culture of that day. So don't underestimate how countercultural it was that God chose a woman to be the, the way through which redemption would come into the world. Number two, she's from Nazareth. Now, even Jesus, it was testified, uh, one of his disciples said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Nazareth was this backwoods, redneck town. So you got yourselves a redneck woman here. She's not just a woman who would have been disregarded by culture. She's a redneck from the sticks. She would have been looked down upon because of her gender and because of her geography. But then it gets even more improbable. Because this woman was a young virgin. So she was young, right? Uh, most likely, women were betrothed, well, not most likely, most frequently, women were betrothed in their early teens, right? So they, they grew up a lot faster back then. So she's likely early teens, betrothed to marry this other young man, or this young man named Joseph. So she's very young. And then as hopefully many of us already know, 
there's something that has to happen before babies happen. And that something had never happened for Mary, ever. With me? All right, we're good. We've all been, if you've been through the classes, you know. If you haven't, you don't need to know. So Mary's young, and Mary's a, a virgin. And then four, and this is actually more improbable, makes it more improbable than the virginity thing. She's a sinner. Mary is human, and therefore, Mary is a sinner. Now, honestly, there's some debate in Christendom about this. Our Catholic friends would say of Mary that she was conceived without sin. But we have to be honest when we even critique or or talk about our Catholic friends. Even they believe, though, that the fact that she was conceived without sin was a sign of God's grace. That that only happened by the mercy and grace of God. So what I'm getting at is, if you hold the Protestant view like I do, that Mary was a a sinner from birth and and throughout her life just like the the rest of us, um, it still is mercy from God that she was that she was saved and, and asked to carry the Son of God. But across Christendom, even in Catholicism, the claim is the same. That for Mary to carry the Son of God required mercy and grace from God. She wasn't the one who would produce mercy and grace. It was given to her. She wasn't the one who would manufacture it. She is the one who would consume it. So Mary was a recipient of mercy and grace. So from the jump of this true story from the word of God, we're we're trafficking in the improbable. A redneck woman, a young virgin, saved by mercy and grace. Hear me. I thank God today that his mercy is for improbable people. Because I'm one of them. Mary's resume is not any worse than mine. It's not any worse than yours. The fact that we have been given mercy is highly improbable. But God is gracious to us. Second, we see that it's immeasurable. His mercy and grace is immeasurable. Verses 30 through 33, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's Isaiah nine quoted very loosely, by the way, a prophecy uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before this birth announcement. Here's the gist of it, though. This is the birth announcement To end all birth announcements, this is the birth announcement of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, Lord and Savior, and he will be great, Gabriel says. No qualifiers. In the Old Testament, if you find the word great present with no qualifiers, almost every single time it refers to God and God alone. That word is very rarely used singularly without any qualifiers to describe anyone but God. This is an announcement of God putting skin on to be born. He'll be son of the Most High, Gabriel says. And later in verse 35, he'll say son of God. 
And Luke, throughout his entire gospel, will reveal Jesus not only as a son of God, but the son of God. The very son of God, God the Son. The third person of the Trinity. God in the flesh, the skin. And he'll have the throne of David. It'll be his. That's a big deal. If you know the Old Testament. You know that, that was the promise that the throne of David would be sat on forever. That's why in a lot of uh, Christmas hymns and other hymns you'll hear verbiage about the root of Jesse or the son of David. That's where that comes from. That he was of the house and lineage of David. And the throne would belong to him. In other words, he'd be a king. And get it, Mary's learning about this all in real time. Like she doesn't, she's not had like however many years you've been alive to kind of sort through this information and kind of become apathetic to it maybe Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. Mary's learning about it now, in the moment, live, as it's being spoken. Zip it back there, please. Thank you. Hey, stop. Cut it out. Thanks. I'm like one of those preachers in Jamaica. They like I was in Jamaica one time, and the, the pastor started like pound, and it was me that was I was on a mission trip, and he started pounding the pulpit. And I thought he was being emphatic, and then all of a sudden we realized that he was really angry at us and was like chewing us out. So there you go. I'm not above that. I thought that guy was an idiot back then. Now, I'm... Isaiah, shut your mouth. Thank you. Okay. Back to the task at hand. So Mary's learning this in real time. That she's going to be an improbable recipient of grace. She will, uh, she will be uh, receiving this. Mary, you have a, a bun in the oven. And that baby will be God with skin on. I'm going to run through this here. You have to think about the magnitude of this. It's so easy for us to forget it. And all the hoopla and all the, the repetitiveness of, of this season. But through her womb, the promise to Adam and Eve that there will be a snake crusher to crush the head of the serpent will be fulfilled. Through her womb, the promise to Abraham that by him all the nations of the world will be blessed will be fulfilled. The promise to David that his family would have the throne forever. The promises to Isaac and Jacob and Leah and Noah and all the people of God. The promises that were made through Isaiah and Micah and Hosea and Jeremiah and all the prophets. The fulfillment of it will be in, in utero in Mary. That's insane. Like truly. That was not what anybody was expecting. That's unbelievable. It's in it's improbable and the grace of it is immeasurable. And then in verse 34, we see it go from improbable and immeasurable to impossible. You see Mary has a question in verse 34 and it's a good one. Mary said to the angel, "How will this be since I am a virgin?" Good question, Mary. I but notice, she doesn't ask if it will happen. She asks how it will happen. 
There's even faith in her ask. Knowing that God will accomplish it, but wondering how he will do it. So she asked that question and Gabriel responds in verses 35 through 37. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Please don't miss the weight of this. And I've said that like three times. I know how my heart is every season, every Christmas season. It sneaks up on me. Christmas Day comes. And I feel like I missed the magic. I was apathetic to the glory. I don't want us to be there this year. I want us to see the glory. I want us to be impacted by it. This is flat out impossible what God is saying. The word will become flesh and take up residence inside of Mary. And Gabriel cites the Holy Spirit as the source of power. And then he echoes back to Genesis. Remember, if you remember in Genesis, the the spirit of the Lord is hovering over the deep. So what God is saying through Gabriel is the very God who created the universe is at work in you. He's overshadowing you. He's he's going with you. And then he confirms that it'll be the Holy Son of God. And then he does something so important, and I want us to talk about it today. He calls Mary to do two things, to observe and remember. Now, you have no idea how much of the Christian life is this. I'm still learning how much of the Christian life is this, to observe what God is doing and to remember what God has done. So Gabriel says to her, look what God is doing. And he calls her to look at her cousin, Elizabeth. Her cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant now, but there's a little nugget in there about what her nickname used to be. Her nickname was Baron. She would never have children. But when God stepped in, he changed her nickname from Baron to pregnant. And it's John the Baptist that she's carrying in her belly. I can't imagine Mary heard this and didn't think back to all the other names. Names like Sarah, the wife of Abraham. She'd been called barren. Rebecca, she'd been called barren. Other women, barren. There are women in this church who at one point have been called barren. God changed their name. We serve a God who does the impossible. We serve a God who takes barren things and gives life. And it might not be your womb. Some women will remain barren for life. It doesn't mean that God in a million other different ways isn't reaching into the barrenness of this world and giving life. That's what he does in his advent. 
with us. That's what happens when Christ comes to dwell among us. He brings life into our barrenness. That's what God's doing for Mary through Gabriel. Right out of the gate, he says, remember. He says, look around you. See what God is doing. Because you're going to want to think that this situation's impossible. You're going to want to think that this can't happen, that God can't work in this way. But remember, he has before. And he will again. And God wants you to know today, child of God, that this improbable, immeasurable, and impossible mercy and grace of God is real. The stories are true. The stories are true. And if the stories are true, we're called to respond. Because when mercy draws near, it transforms. And so our last verse shows us the case and point of that. As Mary exemplifies what it means to be transformed by the mercy of God. Mary said, behold, I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In scene, right? That's it. It goes on to the next, the next scene in Luke chapter 1. But the scene wasn't over for Mary. The scene was not over for Mary. She doesn't have a clue that Gabriel is going to visit her husband as well. You know that in the timeline? She gets the message first. And the angel doesn't say, hey, I'm going to go tell Joe too. So he'll be in on the little secret. Don't worry. She doesn't know that. When Mary says, let it be according to your will, she's saying, even if you take away my husband because of this, let it be according to your will. And she's not ignorant of the fact that everyone in the town is going to whisper, S-L-U-T, they will call her son a bastard out loud to his face. She's not ignorant that that's coming. She says, let it be according to your will. She doesn't know this yet, but that let it be according to your will is going to force her to be a refugee fleeing to Egypt. Well, every baby under the age of two in Nazareth is killed by the sword. She'll have to sojourn in a foreign land as a refugee. She doesn't know this yet, but maybe she could guess that, that the people in her neighborhood are going to call her son a lunatic. They're going to come to her and say, hey, go get your son and bring him back to the house. He's gone crazy. He's out there saying he's the son of God. He needs committed. Bring him in, right? And all that shame will be put on her. This will be the cost. One day on a hillside outside Jerusalem, she's going to stand there and watch as her son is brutally murdered on a cross. This will be the cost of her yes. This will be the cost of her let it be according to your will. But hear me today. She was getting it. She was getting what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. My hands and my feet will follow after you in obedience. Not because I'm afraid of you, 
destroying me or, or coming down so hard on me that I just have to straighten up and obey. But because your mercy is so sweet. Because your grace is so beautiful. Because your love is so immense. My lips and my life will praise you. There's no cost too great. Shout of God. Humble participation in the work of our God of mercy is better than any relationship. It's better than your reputation. It's better than your safety. It's better than your wealth. It's better than life itself. Mary believed it. I don't always believe it. Sometimes I do. And when I do, there's always this this feeling of walking in sync with the Holy Spirit, and I want that for us. That we'll believe that the stories are true, and that we'll respond in obedience. In the kingdom of God, it's considered a wise and appropriate transaction to give away anything and everything for the sake of knowing Jesus and experiencing His mercy and grace. So remember... Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to die, saying, not my will, but yours be done. As he humbles himself submissively to the difficult but good and glorious will of God. Mary is reflecting Jesus who has yet to be born. By saying, not my will, but yours be done. So yes, when mercy draws near, we realize that we have nothing to fear. And only joy to find in following after Jesus in complete obedience. Mary models that for us. That today, as we close, we can value things differently. We don't have to value things the way the world does. We can give our stuff away for the sake of the gospel. We can lay down our relationships. We can lay down our reputations. We can lay down our safety and our cash and our time and we can lay down our very lives to plant churches in Barbersville and the furthest places of the world. We can foster orphans in the tri-state and we can support the poor and the weak and the marginalized to the ends of the earth with our money because mercy is drawn near. We can risk relationships with friends and family to share the gospel with them explicitly. Because mercy is drawing near. We can give more time and energy and resources away for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, because mercy has drawn near and it transforms. Mercy gives birth to humble participation. And mercy did draw near that little baby. He'd be born in that barn, that stable. He would grow up. And one day he would put a cross on his back and he would carry it up that hill and he'd be crucified for my sin and for your sin so that we could be made right with God. And every one of those prophecies about him would be fulfilled and John would be able to say in John 1.12 but as many as received him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. 
If you don't know Jesus as Savior today, believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross on your behalf and be saved. And made right with God. And if you are a child of God, let's join Mary today. I've been convicted by this this week. Even as we step out in faith and plant the church, there are so many areas in my life where I'm still holding on tight. Where I'm struggling to be willing to say, may it be according to your will. Today, uh, as the children of God, it's my prayer that that would be our heart. Whatever the cost. Whatever it takes. Because mercy is drawn near and it's extraordinary and beautiful beyond words. May it be according to your will. God, thank you so much that Mary sets an example for us of what it looks like to receive infinite mercy and grace and then to pivot not to earn your mercy, not to earn your grace, but to pivot based on how sweet and great your love is and walk in humble obedience, humble participation with you. And we'd be marked by that in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www dot mercyvillage dot church